Folks, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up together to back to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Open that one up and please take that one home with you. Uh, makes me very happy, makes us very happy when some of those blue Bibles are gone because uh, we love giving those away. That means somebody needed one or knows someone who needs one. So go ahead and take that one, please, please, please uh, give that to somebody. Um, maybe you want to take that home and <clears throat> make it a challenge this week to find someone who needs that Bible that you can give it away to them. Mark chapter 8, Mark's toward the back of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, second book of the New Testament. Um, it's a gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, kind of an ancient biography of Jesus. Looks like we're just about there. Um, one of the interesting things that I really don't think much about when it comes to Jesus' ministry is you've got God in flesh, more compassionate for sinners than I could ever imagine, more merciful towards sinners than I could ever imagine. And knowing everything, knowing the thoughts that are going through your mind, the thoughts are going through the people's minds that he encounters, knowing all these things, being so compassionate, and yet seeing in people's hearts that he is God offering salvation from their sins, from the wrath of God, from God's judge, judgment, from God's justice. He's offering this to people. And Jesus looking into their hearts and knowing that these people will reject him. Can you imagine the weight of that? For somebody so compassionate to walk around in Israel and, and walking among people that He is offering a free gift of salvation through faith, knowing that these people will reject Him. Can you think about the weight of that? And the heartache of that? Well, that's something that we're going to encounter together today. And as we see the compassion for, of Jesus and as, as we unfortunately see people face-to-face -face with the Savior of the world, when, when we see them face-to-face -face and we see him, them reject Him, uh, let's, let's pray together as we, as we begin this, this story together. Father God, in Your grace and in Your mercy for us, You don't require us to know everything. You don't require perfection either. You don't require our perfection and our works either for salvation or for us to keep our salvation. And Father, I am grateful for that because Lord, I know my own hearts and I know if that was Your requirement to keep my salvation, Father, I'd fall so, fall so far short. And Father, but because we don't know everything, Father, we can read through the good news of Jesus and like a diamond, we can turn it and we can see different, different streams of light in different ways for the first time. And so God, I pray that You make that true of us today as we, as we read through this story, these true stories about your Son taking on flesh for sinners. Father, I pray that You open our hearts. May we see the compassion of Jesus. And Father, may we see the tragedy of, of rejecting Him even as He walked among us. And Father, may this spur us on to evangelize, to share, to proclaim the good news to those around us. And Father, may this, may this also push us to examine our own hearts even as believers and ask what is getting in the way of me seeing Jesus more clearly. Father, we love You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, so we're going to take, there are really three mini events here that all cycle around the same event. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take a, take a journey together, and we're going to talk about what's going on, and then we're going to talk about why and how it applies to our life as believers and as non-believers. And so let's read together. We're going to, we're going to start out together. Big number eight, we're going to read the, the main event here. Uh, the other two events cycle around this event. So let's read this together, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Mark, big number eight, goes like this. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to, to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having, given, having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And they were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthua. Okay, we're going to stop right there. So, you, if you've been with us, this has been a while now, but we, we went through. This is the second time Jesus has fed thousands of people in this way. The second time. First time he fed 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. We see again the popularity of Jesus. Can you imagine his charisma can you imagine the truth that he is proclaiming that these great crowds come and gather just to hear him talk can you imagine the things that are coming from jesus's mouth and we see that it's a very similar situation as to chapter six with a little bit of a twist if you'll remember chapter six when jesus feeds the crowd the day wasn't even over. The crowd came. Jesus teaches for a good part of the day. And then the disciples come to Jesus and go, Jesus, what are you doing? We're hungry. They're hungry. we got to send these people away. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you feed them? And they scold Jesus. They say, Jesus, come on, what are you thinking? You're crazy. We can't. We don't have enough money to feed all these people. Even if we worked hard for a whole year, we couldn't have money to feed all these people. Much less, where's their McDonald's, Jesus? Come on. They scold Jesus. And then in their shame, Jesus goes ahead and feeds 5,000 people from His hands, from His desire to feed them. And so we see a little bit of a difference here. Do you see it? Where similar situation, we see the disciples have learned their lesson a little bit. Instead of coming to Jesus, you know, six hours into his sermon, how would you like to sit through a six-hour sermon? Are you interested in that? Uh, getting some no's from some brave people. No, no, of course not. Six, instead of coming to Jesus six hours into the sermon, they kind of hang back and they go, we remember how this happened last time. And so they let 
the Jesus preach, and then they all go to sleep in the wilderness, and they wake up, and the people eat what they brought with them, and then he preaches again for a day, and then everybody goes to sleep, and they wake up, and they eat again. And they don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to send all these people away. What are you doing? They kind of hang back, and everybody starts getting really hungry. Third day, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching. The people have eaten all their food. And now Jesus comes, and He says, I have compassion on these people. They've been with Me for three days. They've eaten everything that they've brought. And I know that they're, so, they're, they're fasting at this point. He says, I know if I send them away halfway home, they're so hungry that they're going to fall over on the road. They're going to fall over on the road. And we could see the disciples are learning a little bit of their lesson instead of coming and going, well, come on, just what, you, what, what, come on, what are we going to do? Send them away. And, and, and kind of being so worried about it, they say, in a sense, they say this, well, Jesus, what, what are you going to do? That's the sense here. Instead of lecturing him, instead of scolding him this time, they say, instead of presuming that he is going to do this great miracle, they're going to say, how, how can somebody feed somebody out in the desert like this, Jesus? That's how they kind of say it. They remember their rebuke and they hold their tongues. They come to him in a sheepish way, in a very different tone, and they say, what, what do you intend to do, Jesus? So Jesus, just like He did in chapter 6, Jesus takes the bread that they have, He prays over it, and later He'll take the fish that they have and pray over it, and He starts handing it out to the disciples. And all of a sudden, when you think that seven loaves of bread will be all done, it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Out of nothing. The theological term for that is ex nihilo. Creation from nothing. Where else have we heard that? Genesis. Sometimes, we, sometimes people like to read this and go, come on, that's just, can we really believe that Jesus fed people out of nothing? I mean, I'm okay with Jesus most of the time. I'm okay with most of this book. But that seems pretty crazy. Well, what's really crazy is he did the same thing with Jupiter. If he could do the same thing with Jupiter, doing seven loaves, feeding 4,000 people is nothing. He did the same with Jupiter. He did the same with Earth. He did the same with every star in the sky. Jesus created them because he wanted them created. That's how it happens. The Word of God, the will of God accomplishes everything. And that's the bottom line, number one thing that these people needed to see. Jesus creates these, this bread for us like he created Jupiter. He's God among us. That's the big takeaway. He is God among us. And they ate and they were totally satisfied. Satisfied. Last time we talked about it like this, they gorged themselves. This was good bread. This wasn't bread made by a sinner in their bread machine. This was from God. That's got to be good bread. That bread might be, even be better than barbecue. That's how good that bread probably was. They gorged themselves. The meaning, God in flesh is here. He creates this bread like He created Jupiter. And He satisfies His people with the best. 
They ate and were satisfied. Jesus is the source of our satisfaction. He gives us, He provides for us our most basic needs. Not just physically, but spiritually, doesn't He? He's here to provide our need to be right with God. That's our most basic need. And so this amazing event is happening again. People are talking about it all over the country. They talked about it the last time Jesus does this. Jesus is healing the sick. He's feeding thousands of people from His hands, from His will. He's giving sight to the blind. He will raise the dead. Jesus is, Jesus is being taught and being told about and being whispered about all throughout Israel. Everybody knows. And if everybody knows, Jesus' enemies know. And so they hear about this event happening. It's happening for three days. And so what happens is the Pharisees who live in this area are hearing about this amazing event. They've heard about it before. And so Jesus' enemies come to test and try Jesus. Right in the same place, the same area, this miracle has happened. And then these guys show up. Read with me if you will. Verse 11 and through verse 13 says this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And He left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. What are these people thinking? You hear about or you even see? Some of these Pharisees might have been in the crowd and saw this happen. You see this happen, and the first thing that you want to do with this man who creates bread from his hands like he created Jupiter, you, the first thing you want to do is go argue with this guy? But before we... Before we throw these guys under the bus, do we ever argue with the Creator of the universe who created Jupiter from His will, from His Word? And so these groups, this group of Pharisees probably who lived in the area heard what was going on. Maybe some of them saw what was going on. They came to judge Jesus. Now think about the context here. They're hearing, and some of the, some of the Pharisees are seeing these miracles that He has been performing. And their thought is, boy, I need to judge this man. The hubris. The pride. But again, before we throw them under the bus, do we ever like to sit in judgment of the creator and sustainer of the universe for the way our life is going. So these men come to Jesus to judge Him. They ask Him for a sign. Give us a sign. Come to argue with Him. Give us a sign. What does that mean? Well, a sign is different than a miracle. Because remember the context of what we're doing. The, the Pharisees know all about Jesus. They know all about the things that He's doing. And you know what they don't say? From, from the beginning of Mark to His resurrection, in all the Gospels, you know what they don't say? Their argument isn't, 
He's not doing these things. People are crazy. They can't say that. Even when he is raised from the dead after being crucified, their argument isn't, he, didn't, he wasn't raised from the dead. It wasn't, his body's still in there. What was his argument? The body's gone. How's the body gone? He rose from the dead. They didn't say these people are crazy. That's not their argument. They didn't say, you're seeing things. They said these things are happening. His body is gone from the tomb. They didn't say, he's not feeding people out of his hands like God did Jupiter. They're saying, if you remember, if you've been with us in Mark, they're saying, yeah, he's doing all these amazing things, but it's, it's got to be the devil who's really doing it. And so that's why they come. They don't come and they don't say, okay, 4,000 people, go home. You're crazy. This didn't really happen. He's got an ace up, this, up his sleeve. They don't say that. They can't say that because these things are actually happening. So what they say is, you're probably from the devil. So what I want is I want a sign Jesus, we demand a sign from You that the miracles that You're doing is from God. You want a sign that Jesus is from God that's, that's a greater sign than, than Him creating bread from His hand from nothing? You want a greater sign than that? Yeah, we want a sign. What they're asking for is not a show of power. They already have a show of His power. There's no question that Jesus has power. They want a sign of authority. What they want is, they want the heavens to open up and they want God the Father to say, this is My Son. Which, by the way, has already happened at His baptism. They want a cosmic sign. They want the, the sun to darken. They want the stars to fall from the sky. They want a heavenly voice to say, this is under My authority. Now, if that were to happen, what would they say? Would they say Jesus is God? No, they say, well, Jesus is a prophet and we got this, this uh, authority coming from God so He's just a man like us, but just God works through. He's not going to do that. Jesus' ministry is His own own self-authority under the authority of God the Father. He is God. He is God. His miracles themselves show that He is not merely a man working under the authority of God the Father. He is God. He is God the Son obeying God the Father under His own power and authority doing these miracles. Jesus knows behind, they're not asking for a sign so that they could put faith in Him. They're asking for a sign so that hopefully He doesn't give one and then they can say, see, we told you. Or he could give them a sign and they could say, well, that's not a good enough sign. Because really, they don't want Jesus to be God. They don't want Jesus to be the Messiah. So Jesus knew that behind their demand for a sign was hostility, unbelief, and hatred. 
And it's these same motives in the same types of people, in the same Pharisees, these same motives are going to nail Him to the cross. And so Jesus gives a deep sigh, a sigh of anger and frustration and grief. Remember what we said at the beginning? Jesus, seeing, looking these men in the eyes, they come to argue with Him. He's saying, I'm, provi- I'm showing you that I'm God. I'm providing these things out of nothing. I'm creating bread from nothing. I'm showing you that I'm God and I'm here for sinners. Have you not listened to my teaching? And you come to argue with Me. You come to judge Me. Can you think about the sorrow in His soul over that? The same bread that He created from nothing, He created these men. These men, they're, these men that are judging Him, that are arguing with Him. The, the molecules in their bodies hold together moment to moment because Jesus wants them to. And they have come to judge Him. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. You come to Jesus on His terms. We don't come to Jesus and ask on our own terms. Well, show me this, Jesus, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll have faith. Maybe you'll, you'll be blessed with the presence of my faith. And it, the picture is Jesus just sorrowful that these men are are letting their judgment and their anger and their, their self-righteousness, well, we're Pharisees. We're, we're, we're supposed, to, supposed to prove the things of God. The sorrow, he says this, no, generation, no, no sign will be given to this generation, and immediately he gets in the boat, goes across the sea. And then we get verse 14. Read it with me if you will. Now they had, they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And He, Jesus, cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with, them, with one another. They began arguing the fact that they had no bread. Whose fault is it? It's your fault. It was my fault. It was your responsibility. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? In their haste to leave, right? You get Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. The disciples are probably standing back going, man, it's super awkward. What's going on here? And then Jesus is so brokenhearted. He's so sad about these men that, that He loves. These Pharisees, their hard-heartedness, their judgment of Him is going is to prevent them from having faith in Him. And He's so upset and frustrated and angry, righteous anger. He says, we're, we're out of here. Let's go. They jump in the boat. They get a little ways out and they go, uh, uh, 
we were so fast in getting his boat, I forgot to bring the bread. You for, you, it was your responsibility, Peter, wasn't it? The master said, you need to grab bread. Remember that two days ago? No, it wasn't me. It was this guy over here. And they start arguing about that. And you kind of get a picture of Jesus just, you know, hand uh, sitting like this, just, just thinking about those Pharisees. And he says, guys, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they think he's probably mad at them. And they're, ah, oh, great. You know, they, he noticed we don't have any bread. Oh, no, he's probably going to be mad at us. Or he's going to think that we've done something terrible. And so they start, keep arguing. Beware. That's what Jesus tells us. Beware. Watch out. Why does he tell them that? And in, in, in what he's doing, he's telling them that. These are the men that are going to start the church. That Jesus is going to start the church through these men. You get that, right? Through 11 of these men. One of them is going to betray Jesus. These men are going to start the church. And so in a way, he's telling us individual Christians, beware. And in another way, he's telling us churches, beware of two things. After his conversation with the Pharisees, this brings it to mind for Jesus. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Number one, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What does he mean? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Leaven. Beware of yeast. The yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus is so clever, isn't He? We had a whole thing about bread. The disciples are arguing about bread in the boat, and so Jesus uses bread as an analogy. Beware of the yeast. Why yeast? A small amount of yeast can impregnate the material with which it is mixed with its own fermentation. You put a little yeast in the mix... And boom, it spreads to the whole thing. Now, I don't make bread. I eat a lot of it. I don't make bread. But here, that's how it works. We might say it like this. Maybe this is a good analogy for our time. Beware of the virus of the Pharisees. Beware of the virus of Herod. It's a common metaphor for corruption and sin. Gets in unnoticed. You might, you might not even notice it. It's so, so small, so tiny. You might not even notice. And then before you know it, boom, it's everywhere. On the surface, the, the Pharisees and Herod could not seem more different how do they share? What's the yeast that they share? How, is it, what's more, how, how, do they, how are they connected, Jesus? The Pharisees are ultra-religious. Herod is ultra-debauched. What's common? Both the Pharisees and Herod have let their corrupt hearts hide the work and Word of God before their eyes. Before their very eyes! The corruption of their hearts have hidden the work and Word of God right before their eyes. The Pharisees, they've seen what Jesus has done. They've seen who Jesus is. They know He's fed thousands of people from nothing. They know He has cast out demons. They know He has healed the sick. 
They have seen it with their eyes. They have heard the evidence with their ears. And yet, they do not seek Him as Lord. They seek to argue. They seek to judge. They don't seek Him as Messiah, Savior. Why? Beware of the yeast, the virus of the Pharisees. The Pharisees' hearts were so hardened by self-righteousness and pride and a desire to judge even Jesus that they couldn't see God's Word for its truth and they couldn't see God's actions for its salvation in the obvious miracles Jesus was performing. All over the place. All over the place. This virus, this yeast has gotten into the Pharisees this, this judgmental attitude, this, as we talk about often, this law-stacking attitude of, it's not in here, but I want you to abide by it. Jesus calls it heavy. They put heavy burdens on their people. You need to, yeah, we'll set this aside. Okay, that's good, but we're going to put all these other rules on you. And even Jesus was not living up to their man-made standards. Jesus was not living up to their rules. What do you do then? What do you do then? They cared more for their religious influence, their power, their self-righteousness than they did hearing the Word and seeing God's work. He's right there. He's right in front of them. He's so close, they could reach out and touch him. And yet, their self righteousness, their man made laws, their pride, instead of bowing to him as Savior, instead of looking at all these people who are stuffed full of satisfaction with Jesus because he brought them, brought bread from his, from his will, from his desire, this is how Jesus made, instead of seeing the evidence around them and falling to his feet as Lord and Savior, instead of coming to him with faith, they come to him with judgment. And we are often like Pharisees. Beware. Disciples, beware. You're going to start churches you're going to be my followers? Beware. The self-righteous, judgmental, law-stacking attitude of the Pharisees is like yeast. It will get into your heart and you won't even know it's there. Beware when you start your churches. The self, this self-righteousness is going to be in your church and you won't even know it's there. We are often like the Pharisees. We are convinced of our own righteousness, our own opinions, our man-made rules and regulations. And this yeast slowly infiltrates our hearts to where we can't even see what God is really doing around us. This self-righteousness, this yeast, this virus could get into our hearts. This judgmental attitude toward others could get into our hearts so that it chokes out the grace of God that we should have for other people. Even as Christians, chokes out the grace of God. Even as believers that are going to be in heaven, 
The yeast of the Pharisees can choke out the grace of God we have for others. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees that gets inside of you and you can't even see Jesus when He's standing right before you. He says, beware of the yeast of Herod. When we last left Herod in chapter 6, both of these things, feeding 5,000, chapter 6, our last look of Herod was chapter 6. When we last left Herod, he was married to his brother's wife. You remember this? And he was watching his young teenage stepdaughter sensually dance for his powerful political allies. And John the Baptist was speaking out against Herod's evil ways. And Herod cut his head off and put it on a silver platter and gave it to his young stepdaughter. And we get, we get, a, we get a, a verse in chapter 6 which shows us that the Word of God and the power of God was in front of Herod's face the whole time. It says this, the man who Herod will cut his head off says this, chapter 6, verse 20, I'll read it to you. Herod, it says, Herod feared John that knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived, born a woman. This man was speaking to Herod about his sinfulness. Repent! Repent! You can't be married! You can't go out and marry your brother's wife! You can't do things like watch your stepdaughter dance! You can't do that, Herod! Repent and turn to God! These are the types of things that John was saying. And Herod saw John before him, a prophet of God, saw the, heard the Word of God from John's mouth, knew the, knew the power of God was in John, knew that John was righteous and holy, set apart for the work of God. It was right before him. Herod could reach out and touch him anytime he wanted in his dungeon. But even in the face of the Word of God, the power of God, the prophet of God, even seeing Him, reaching out and touching Him, even that, the worldliness and sin, the yeast of Herod, got into his heart so deeply. This love of the world, love of power. You love power so much that you're going to tell your stepdaughter to go dance for your political friends. If you love power that much, the yeast of sinfulness and worldliness has gotten so deep into your heart. Herod was so tied up in worldly lusts and power and sin that his heart had no room for a prophet's true words, much less the truth of God and the Messiah. And we can be like that. The yeast, the virus of worldliness, of sin, has, can sneak its way into our hearts to where we might like the thought of Jesus. I like the thought of Jesus. I call myself a Christian. I'll even come to church. We might like all these things. But we don't take God seriously when He calls us to live holy lives as His children and ambassadors. The preacher always says, I'm saved by grace through faith. So I, don't, I can go live however I want. I'm already forgiven. That's the yeast of Herod. That's the yeast of Herod. That's cheap grace. 
And that's having God's Word and God's power and God's compassion and God's mercy and God's grace right before you. And chopping His head off. Jesus says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Keeping Jesus' commandments do not earn salvation, but they are evidence of salvation. Are you with me? Good works do not earn salvation, but they're evidence of someone being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? James 2.17 says it this way, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Disciples, you've got to start my churches. you start my churches. You're connected to Trinity Baptist Church and this you're connected, you're connected. You're going to start my churches. Beware of the yeast of Herod. Beware of a desire for worldliness that can sneak its way into your heart like a virus. Beware of that. Because it is destruction. It'll destroy my churches. We'll have churches that start out the Gospel as the center. We pursue holiness with truth and love. We're going to start there and then worldliness sneaks in and it goes little by little. It's hard. It's, it's hard to see. It's sneaky. And all of a sudden churches are saying, well, I know what this says about sexuality, but we're going to put that aside because we want to be nice people to the world. Those churches, 200 years ago, the elders of that church planted that church never would have dreamed that the church that they started 200 years ago would be so far from this. How does that happen? The yeast of Herod. Jesus warns the men who will be the first church, be aware of these attitudes of the heart that will hide me from you. Are you with me? Beware of these attitudes of the heart that will hide me from you. And the disciples have had a perfect example of that. They saw this argument with the Pharisees over and over and over again. They can't see Jesus for who He is. They know the story of John the Baptist. They've seen worldliness Hide the truth of God and the grace of God from hearts that love the world more than God. They've seen it happen. And he says, disciples who will start my churches, you won't notice it until it's too late. You've got to be on guard for it. Don't just sit back and think, well, we'll take care of it if it springs up. You've got to be on guard from it. In our own hearts, we've got to be on guard for self-righteousness. Am I not showing people the grace of God that He's shown me? We've got to be on guard for worldliness. Am I loving the world and the powers of the world and the wealth of the world? Whole churches will fall into these traps. Self-made rules and regulations that hide Jesus. And a belief that there is no need to pursue the holiness of God. And the disciples totally missed the point. They think Jesus is mad at them for forgetting to bring bread 
And they begin to argue amongst themselves. And they're no better off than the Pharisees at this point. They're probably worse off than the Pharisees at this point. They're in the boat. Think about, think about the irony here. Think about the frustration that must be surging through Jesus' heart. Jesus has just showed that He can make thousands of loaves of bread from nothing. And these disciples are arguing because they don't have one loaf in the boat. They're worried that they're not going to have food for supper. They're worried about a loaf of bread when the Creator of the universe is in the boat. They're worried they're going to go hungry when the the bread factory is in the boat. And they remember the facts. He says, are you... You still don't understand? You're worried about going hungry tonight? You're worried about missing supper tonight? You still don't understand? How many loaves of bread were left the first time? Twelve. Right. You remember that fact. How many loaves of bread were left this time? Seven. You're right. You remember the fact. You remember these facts and you still don't understand. They know the facts, but they haven't put together what the facts mean. And the facts all mean that Jesus is God in flesh. That He is the Messiah. That He is God walking among us. They don't understand that when He's in your boat, there's nothing to worry about. When He's in your boat, everything else begins to make sense. When He's in your boat, You don't have to worry about self-righteousness. He is your righteousness when He's in your boat and you're with Him in communion with Him. You're going to want to pursue holiness because He's holy. And you love everything about Him. And you want to be like Him. The facts mean that when Jesus is in our boat by grace through faith, we have access to the source of all satisfaction. When Jesus is in our boat, we have access to the source, a source of food that means we will never be hungry again. Acceptance to never be lonely again. Love to never have to be brokenhearted the same way again. We have access to truth to never be foolish again. Holiness to never be depraved again. Salvation to never be lost again. When He's in our boat, it's in our boat. There's nothing to worry about. And there's nothing in the universe more precious than having the Creator of the universe in the boat with us. Christian, there's nothing more precious than having God reign over your heart like a king reigns over a kingdom. There's nothing more precious than having God the Holy Spirit indwell you like a man lives in a tent. There's nothing more precious than that. It has everything else, allows everything else to make sense. Nothing more precious. Not, not the self-righteousness and pride of the Pharisees. That's not more precious. Not the worldliness, the banquets, the sensuality, the power of Herod. That's not worth more than having Jesus in your boat. The palace of Herod is a dumpster compared to being alone in the boat with Jesus.
And so Jesus is, is looking at His disciples and you still don't understand. I'm here. You don't need to worry about your bread. And so for us, Christian, how will our lives change if we really know and grasp and hang on to the fact that Jesus is in our boat? He has fed the 4,000. Don't worry if you have no bread. He has raised the dead. Don't worry if you're on your deathbed. He commands armies of angels. Don't worry if armies are against you. Every king shall bow the knee to Jesus. Don't worry if politics turns against you. He commands all the molecules, cells, bacteria, and viruses. Don't lose hope in a pandemic. He has died to pay for your sins. Rest in His grace. Having Jesus in your boat by grace through faith changes everything. I'm asking the worship team to come up. Christian, are, are we living a life of feeling the security and assurance of God in all things, knowing that Jesus is in our boat with us? Are we showing the world that in this crazy time that we can be cool as a cucumber because Jesus is in our boat? Is that what we are showing the world? Christian, are you living with fear? Are you living with shame? Are you living with regret? Are you living in... Are you, are you living under those burdens. You know the burdens. You know that feeling. We all know that feeling. You're living under that. Well, Jesus would come to you like He comes to His disciples and says, do you not yet understand? I have come to be with you forever. I have come to take care of you forever. Christian, have you put your burdens onto Jesus? And Are, are you here today and the yeast of the Pharisees has got you to the point where you don't know Jesus as Lord. Do you think you can get there on your own? Do you think you could be right with God through your own actions? Our church would call you, repent. Believe in Jesus. Rely on His righteousness. Because the Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags. Are you here today and maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you have no evidence of a life following Jesus? Scripture tells us if we call ourselves a Christian and we have no evidence of following Jesus, that his, He hasn't changed or transformed our life at all, then we should not be assured that we are right with God through Him. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And grace through faith alone produces evidence of faith in Jesus. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you know if you're honest with yourself, yeah, my life's not transformed. We call you to repent and believe. Believe the good news that Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins and to give us the freedom to pursue holiness. Not to try to earn something from God, but to pursue holiness because the Holy Spirit lives in us. 
this church calls you, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, repent and believe.